Pride and Protest would like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on Aboriginal land. It is stolen land. Sovereignty was never ceded. Decolonisation must be central to our political project because without the freedom of Aboriginal people, there is no freedom for any of us. Welcome to another episode of the Pride and Protest podcast. Today's guest that we have is Dee Picton. Welcome, Dee. Thank you. Dee, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a 41-year-old trans woman. You live in Sydney. I just got into the trans community, which is a gay community. They're fun and friendly. How long ago was it that you started your transition? About nearly a year ago. So quite recent for you. Yes. Now, you have a story to tell about an incident that you had with the police. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, when I was lived, before I moved to Glebe, I used to live in Windsor, Sydney's West, and I used to catch the train from Windsor to Blacktown and get off at Blacktown and meet my sister for lunch. Anyway, this particular day, I had to rush to the toilet and I went to the female toilets. And as I was coming out, the police stopped me and said, what are you doing in the toilet, you freak? I'm like... Um, I'm a trans woman. And so basically, as I was walking, they pushed me against the wall, pushed me on the ground and called me a freak and a retard and all that sort of stuff. So I was pretty traumatized for that. So they had brutalized you, bashed you for simply being in a women's toilet. Were they even charging you with anything? They weren't going to charge me anything, but they singled me out. They did this every day, just singled me out for checked by Opal card. But hundreds of people walked past. I didn't asked them for their tickets, but they asked me for my Opal card every single time. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is in in this situation, I mean, the police are there checking people's Opal's card, which is already kind of a ridiculous situation that's pretty symptomatic of over-policing in the western suburbs particularly. But then what they're doing is they're essentially acting as rogue vigilantes in policing who uses a women's bathroom that doesn't even have any precedent in them acting in the law in any way. No, it doesn't. I am a female. I am trans. I am a woman. So I have every right to use female toilets and cis women. Yeah, exactly. I think we've seen an increase Increase in vigilantes and policing people's bodies in restrooms, even masculine cis women, which lesbians and such will be confronted in the women's bathroom for being there. So this is really symptomatic of transphobia, which doesn't affect just trans women, but it affects all women. So once they had uh, assaulting you outside of the bathroom, what were the reactions of people that were around you that were witnessing this? I had a lot of people trying to step in and like push the police away from me. I had a lot of cis men and cis women to come and see if I was okay and sat with me until the ambulance came. So I was pretty shaken up. I was pretty traumatised. Yeah, I bet. So you literally had to go from the train station after this assault from the police straight to the hospital. How long were you in the hospital for? I was in the hospital for about five hours because I was very traumatised. I had a big lump at the back of my head. Like where they pushed me against the wall and then I had a gash above my left eye and I was like shaking, I was I was a mess. It was it was a scary thing. Like I just don't want it to happen to any trans women or any women really. Like it's disgusting. Like I was scared. I thought I was actually going to die, really. I thought I was going to die. Just awful. So what was then the procedure that you took? Obviously, because this isn't a random person that's assaulting you, it's the police themselves. What was your process then about seeking justice for being assaulted by the police and not even being charged with anything? Well, at first they were going to charge me for not having an Opal card, which is all dust, because I did have my Opal card, always have it. After the hospital, I went and rang my sister 
my sister's actually a lawyer. So I asked her what I can do, what's my right. She said, well, you have to go to a different police station and make a statement, which I was very scared. I had to get a friend to come and hold my hand. My sister represented me as my lawyer. Then we went to court and the police got up and tried to lie that I was running away from skipping a train without an open card, this, that and the other, and I wasn't. It's just incredible how often the police will claim bold-faced lies in order yes. to, to protect the kind of violence and unprecedented transphobic violence that they'll commit against individuals. It's just like that trans woman that was in the pokey room that the police pushed. Yeah, absolutely. The individual that you're talking about is Anya Bradford. On this incredibly shaky ground of basically going up to someone, which was to ask for her identification in the pub, there's clear parallels between your story and her story. You were targeted by the police for a very frivolous reason. And then when a confrontation happened that was generated by the police themselves, they brutalise a trans woman and then they lie about it in court or they fabricate the evidence. They fabricated the accusation. So how did you end up identifying the officers who did this? Because I actually work at Blacktown Station and I see them every day working at the station. So did you see these officers after this incident? Uh, no. I Well, three weeks after the accident, uh, accident my sister and my mum and myself, we were at Blacktown and one of the officers that assaulted me, he was working at the station. I don't know why they didn't get disembarked, but anyway, that's as I was walking, we were walking past, he sort of looked at me and smiled at me with a stupid cheeky grin, like a horrible grin, and I just walked past and ignored. Him. It's just terrible. As I said, I'm scared. Like I, I, I look at my my front door. I walk. I can't. I don't even go outside much now. Or shops or taking dog. I'm always looking back. Or if I see a cop car, I actually actually run back inside. That's how scared they got me. So, are you in a relatively um highly policed area of Glebe? I am. Yes. The police drive around every laneway, every road where I live, all the time, morning, night, and afternoon. And they drive up the laneways, which is behind my house. So I can actually sit in the lounge room and see the police drive up the laneway behind my house. Yeah, I think that just goes to show that the purpose of the police for working class and disadvantaged communities is intended to scare and intimidate people. But they say they're there to protect the community. I like to know where they're protecting the community. Yeah, exactly. But just because they've got the uniform on, they think they can throw their weight around and the law around. They can't. And, you know, we hear so often from individuals in our community who are much more wedded to the police force as an institution basically these kinds of stories they either just completely ignore them or, or they say oh it's just a matter of some officers i mean at the end of the day it's not a matter of some officers it's the fact that police officers target disadvantaged people like trans people working class people for the absolute most frivolous reasons and it, it, it doesn't have to do with just their own personal prelediction to one thing or another. It's about that they want to keep these communities under their boot. And the answer is not nicer police people. It's no police people at all. Yeah, as I don't, like, the police, like, in 1978, they humiliated the gay and lesbians and trans community at first Mardi Gras, but yet Mardi Gras gave them a in Mardi Gras, which is wrong. They should have never ever did that. And Mardi Gras knows what the police did, but yet they still get afloat. That's hypocritical of Mardi Gras. 
Yeah, and Mardi Gras have an agreement that was originally a secret agreement um, between them and the police. They formed after the assaults that the police committed in 2013 against Jamie Jackson, um, Bryn Hutchinson and a third individual. That agreement didn't have any material effect on the way that queer people are targeted by the police. It doesn't help, you know, when... No, it doesn't when, help at all. When, when organisations make deals with the police, what you do is you don't decrease their power, you don't decrease their ability to oppress you our communities. You increase it. But I remember Mardi Gras this year, because I was at, the, um, I was at uh, Fox Studios or whatever it is, and anyway, when the police come out to their, their float, because they have to go individually, anyway, the police walked out in their float and the whole stadium, it just went silent. You could drop, hear a pin drop. Yeah, I don't know how much longer we can go on hearing stories like yours, stories like Anya Bradford's, and I'm sure that there are many more stories that simply just are not told within our own community that really should be enough. But then, of course, we have all the other ways that minority communities, working-class communities are policed, from you know Aboriginal deaths in custody to the over-policing of Western Sydney under the lockdown, all these things have to add up to say that it's not acceptable to have police in our communities. Let's go back to your to your case for a little bit. So, how long was it between the actual incident and then when and and going through the court process and eventually um, having a decision made by the court? And what was the decision eventually made by the court? Between me and the hospital and going to court was about about three months, uh, but, but I had to go, like, not once. I had to go three times to the court, like, for the third time was the decision. And then then at the at the last one, the third, sitting at the um, hearing at the court, um, the, lawyer, the other lawyer said to my sister, you can do this, 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 and I said, oh, the police pleaded not guilty for what they did, but then they, the judge said, if you don't plead guilty, it'll still come and bite you on the ass." So... He had no choice to plead guilty. About seven, eight months after, I, I get a phone call from my sister and they said, they've settled, they've got a, got a payout for you. It was actually um, a weight off my shoulders. The police aren't allowed to come near me or harass me, intimidate me or molest me, whatever. Police are backed up. So what happened to the employment of those um, police officers that actually committed the assault? They only got disciplinary for about... Two, two months each. That's all they got. They didn't get sacked whatsoever. They're still actually working to this day. Do you know if they got laid off with or without pay? Hey, I don't know that, but they probably did be in the police. Yeah, I mean, this is just so common that um, the supposed disciplinary measures of the police aren't disciplinary actions at all. The police, as individuals, are some of the most highly rewarded public servants. I mean, the amount of benefits that they get being police officers are absolutely absurd. It would make any other worker be incredibly jealous to know exactly what the police get. What you've just exemplified is that not only do they have all those benefits, but when they've literally committed violence against a trans woman, um, that the outcome is two months standing down and then and then returning to work. Yeah, that doesn't matter to them. It's at the end of the day for them, it's another paycheck. That's right. They can continue to do it. You know, like imagine if this was the scenario in any other workplace. It's just absurd the level of 
protection the police get and also the amount of free passes that they're essentially given by other members of our supposed communities um, who will basically brush off these kinds of things as just part of the job that the police do. Yeah, and it's disgusting. You hear so many stories about cis women or trans women being treated badly by men. Yeah, exactly. In Parliament, like um, with the harassment of the women, some women have to step down because they're getting called harassed or sexual harassment by men. Yeah, you know, it's something that's endemic through through the culture, through the culture of power um, in our society when, you know, there is this economic power, political power and power of force that is had over women, especially working class women, all these kinds of things, violence, sexual assault, discrimination, harassment, it's all part of the same networking system. Yeah, when I went to court about the police, they, the police lawyer, she turned around and, made, and said to the judge in the court that, oh, I was on drugs that day, I was high, I was this, that and the other. And I said to myself, that's got nothing to do with what happened. I said, I, I said to myself, I don't do drugs, but if I did, I still don't deserve the, what happened to me. No, absolutely not. Yeah, again, that's just a stereotype lying and especially disgusting since it's not something actually to be a reason to discriminate, to brutalise someone, um, but is generally a problem that runs through our communities um, because of our disadvantage. Yeah, I know. It needs to stop. Police need to get out of Mardi Gras, get away from the um, protests. Like, I remember when I went for the first trans pride protest in Taylor Square, there's so many police there. Yeah, that's right. You know, I remember it was last year. It really was, there was a couple of things that, a couple of protests that went on that time, but it really was the Community Action for Rainbow Rights rally against Mark Latham's bill where that police suppression of protests once the kind of hump of the um, cases and pandemic had, had finished for the first wave in New South Wales, that that police oppression was really tested against protesters and as well as some of the things that happened at Sydney University. But I think it is really telling that it is our communities, you know, um, that are oppressed by the police amongst other forms of oppression and exploitation that we receive that were actually testing those police powers and saying, actually, this doesn't have anything to do with health. This has everything to do with making sure that individuals that are exploited and oppressed don't have a voice. And it was um, Pride and Protest's Mardi Gras March. It was the first protest to win a health exemption in uh, New South Wales for the protests specifically rather than winning in the courts. So, you know, really we've been on the forefront of testing police powers underneath during the pandemic and doing it in a way in which there was no transmission. So there are so many things that we have to come together to fight against the police and it has to be more than just our community. As I said before, there are different groups oppressed by the police. We need to all work together to not just get police out of 
the queer community, but get the police out of migrant communities, get the police out of black communities. Disgusting. Like they think they can do anything. In reality, they can't. Absolutely. And, you know, another important thing and what this links back to is my discussion of some of the things that the police receive as their employee benefit. If we see the police as ultimately a tool for oppression used by the state against black people, queer people, migrant communities, actually, they don't deserve to be in any sort of working class movement. And it's important that unions, fighting unions and progressive unions, make sure that the police don't actually have a say within the union movement and to make sure that the police aren't in trades hall to say actually working class communities don't stand with police and I think that's another arm of power that we should be using not just our community power but also using union power to really diminish the oppression that we face under the police. Yes and with everything that's happened to me I'm always forever walking out fast and before I go out the door stick my hand and see if there's any police there that's how scared they have actually got. To have that ongoing trauma something that you have with you now and if we don't want the police in our communities we can't let this happen and and then wait for payouts or these useless disciplinary measures. We have to make sure that they don't happen at all. And I'll never go back. Like, I still have dreams and nightmares about it. It's horrible for me. This isn't a conversation that we haven't had on this podcast before. You know, we've spoken to Bryn Hutchinson about what happened with him at Mardi Gras and the subsequent court case and attempt to bankrupt him by the police and we've talked to Keith Quayle about his experience in and out of prison itself you know and should never ever break your spirit that's why we're here to tell the story and to make sure that we actually fight against it so it doesn't happen for other people I commend you for having that spirit it took a lot of guts for me to talk about this because I was was in two minds and saying no I can't do this but I said no I have to do this I have to people get people to hear my stories like what's happened to me like I have to really get it out there no and that requires a lot of bravery it's not a small thing it's so hard enough to be a trans woman and just live every day just to actually like be in society and just have someone verbally abuse you on the street or call you something like I think it's a pretty universal experience for trans women to have that happen, we face so many barriers already on a social level, on an economic level, on a material level. To have police violence as an aspect of that is just so unconscionable. Your whole life is turned completely upside down. You know, personally for me, it took a long time to untangle being on hormones, but having my mental health suffer a lot. And I think actually at the end of the day, it wasn't really my hormones that was affecting that, but it was actually just the fact that every aspect of my life was suddenly different and I was being viewed as different and I was being viewed as lesser or I had different ways that I had to work and what my employment was and where my community was and who I was dating, all those kinds of things. Everything changes. Yeah, it's a big step. Admit to yourself, completely understand that's who I am. A lot of bloody hard work, I can tell you. I'm happy with being a trans woman. I'm happy to be who I am. Yep. And at the end of the day, that's what we have. We have to have our own conviction in our own hearts about who we are and why we're valued and loved and beautiful and that we have each other. And then on a, on a broader scale that we have each other to, to, to fight for what's right. And we need all those things together to have the strength to go on, but then also 
the strength to fight for a better world. We're hoping to defeat, you know, Mark Latham's bills. We should recognise that we make a demand as a community, as grassroots people, as, as a collective, as a mass movement, to force those major parties to do the right thing by us. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, Dee, thank you for the chat. Um, Thank you. It has been wonderful chatting. Yes, and for sharing your story. So you can hear Dee at our upcoming public forum, Cops Out of Pride, Cops Out of Community. That's an online event on Zoom on 9th of August, 6pm. You can find that event if you just go to the Pride and Protest Facebook page. Dee, thanks again, and we'll see you at the forum. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this quite heavy episode. And again, I'd like to thank Dee for being so open and sharing her story. If you would like to see more of what Pride and Protest do, you can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Pride and Protest. On Instagram, our handle is pride.in.protest. And we're also on Twitter at Pride in Protest.